Happy 2021. Happy Friday night, everyone. I'm Brian Lawrence, your host of the No Jibber Jabber podcast. Thanks for checking it out. All right. Hello, everyone. I'm here with Meg Honey and Ben Campopiano, our first time having returning guests. Welcome to both of you. Thanks, Brian. Thank you. That's quite an honor. I'm so glad that we got invited back. <laughs> so, you know, we're, we're just going to dive into the big news of the week. Uh, President-elect Biden selecting Marty Walsh, mayor of uh, Boston, as his new labor secretary. <laughs> big, big news. Could be a game changer. Um, but that has been slightly overshadowed by you know, the attempted coup, uh, the president of the United States now being banned from Twitter, possible impeachment hearings starting on Monday. So, uh, Meg, how, how was the week for you? What do you think? Well, I think it was the wrong um, time to, to, you know, take out alcohol out of my life for January. Dry um, January. No, dry not January. Going so well. Not go. Yeah. I mean, I, it's a, uh, yes. Um, gosh, this week, I, uh, I, said to you both before we came on that I hope I have something to offer tonight because I feel like my levels and I am assuming our collective levels of mental and, and emotional exhaustion are you know at their at their peak um, and I think that for all of us watching the events unfold on Wednesday and the aftermath and what we're still learning uh, about what happened while at the same time working, while at the same time managing distance learning and figuring out how to talk to our children about what was happening. It's, it's been, um, it has been a lot, um, but I, I think that, um, yeah, there's, there's certainly a lot to discuss here for sure. Yeah, I mean, I, I remember Ben, so I woke up Wednesday morning, feeling energized about yep. the victories uh, the night before, a Democratic sweep in Georgia. And so I wake up Wednesday morning going, man, I'm so glad that those uh, DeKalb County returns came in and, and they're trending the way we need them to. Had a productive day uh, in, in the morning at work, went out to go get a little lunch and left my phone. And in the half hour while I went, picked up lunch and came back, a lot happened. So where, where were you Wednesday when you started hearing about the uh, attempted coup? Uh, ben? Well, it, it's interesting. I too was in the middle of a meeting and it was a long meeting and I had my phone away from me and I was zooming. And I, when I was done, I pulled out my phone and there was 15 texts. I think a couple from you guys, you know, a couple from my other threads and a couple from, you know, my, my political junkie friends. And, and are, are you seeing this? Are you watching this? Oh my gosh, check this out. This is disgusting. Uh, this is terrible. This is tragic. And I flip on CNN in my office and, you know, it's, it's not surprising or shocking, but it is so surprising and shocking, right? It's, it's, you understand how this happened and how we got to this point um, based on the last four years and the rhetoric and, 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 and Trump and Trumpism, but it is, it is still something you never expect to see. I worked in the Capitol building and mm -hmm. I remember um, uh, um, false alarms and how mm -hmm. scary that was, right? And how, because that was after 2000, uh, 
it was 2004. So it was after they had done a lot of security changes after 9-11 and stuff. And so when false alarms went off or any alarm went off, people freaked out. People would be running down the hallways because you don't know, you're thinking the worst. And so the fact that we've gone through so much security changes at the Capitol, I mean, that, that alone um, made this shocking that, that it, it even got close to something like that. So for me, same thing. It was just a surreal day and a surreal um, moment in our history. And, you know, uh, something, I, I, I'm certainly not surprised, but I'm, I'm, it, it's just so unbelievable that that did happen. Um, and it, it's just, it's, it's sickening and saddening. Yeah, so Meg, I, I think we can say it was shocking, it was surreal, but how many people, if you're paying attention, are, are you actually surprised that this is what it culminated in? No, I, no, exactly right. I, um, I think, you know, if we intellectually put all those pieces together and, and um, think about what a possible manifestation of these four years would look like, I think it's not, you know, far out of the, the reach of imagination, but, um, you know, for those of us who hold very tight to the ideals of our democracy and a democratic process and these sacred places um, and spaces, it, it was devastating and horrifying. And um, yeah, and, and I mean, I guess yet not, not unexpected, but there, there is something about watching this unfold in real time you know, on Wednesday, and then as we have been processing and learning more yesterday and today, and I, 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 I find myself oscillating between you know rage and absolute heartbreak. I've, that's where I, you know, I, you know, I'm swinging back and forth. And then I, um, you know, at one point it would be easy to characterize um, the terrorists that that did this act or or make you know, um, you know, generalize or make assumptions and and. However, those might live, and then I'm I met with that piece that I, I think was in Slate today um, that detailed the amount of people who were either ex-military or or ex-law uh, enforcement who arrived in the Capitol with I'm not going to call them right, but like the zip the zip ties that you would you know um, um, utilize on on somebody you're trying to you know uh, whatever um, and machine, you know, Molotov cocktails and AK-47s and pipe bombs. And it's like the gravity of all of that and, and what could have happened had these terrorists found people who have been, um, you know, reviled and, and skewered by Donald Trump for these four years. I just, it's very overwhelming. And frankly, and you know, it's, I mean, even the image of that man in Nancy Pelosi's desk and the feet up and all that. Yes, I know that there's like, you know, we can say a lot about it. He was captured in Arkansas. Yes. But like the gross violation of those, that, that act and those images. And I know that we're going to get into some of the other symbols and flags and things that were present here and what they say and what they mean. But I'm just, I, I just, I'm, I'm really overwhelmed by all of it. It's just, yeah. it's, it's really too much. Well, one thing, to add to that is, I, I, and I said this to my mom this morning, we talked, you know, and, and processed it all over the phone this morning is how it, it's so terrible. People lost their lives. It just it's so tragic, but how much worse it could have been if, mm -hmm. if one of those bombs had gone off, if someone had opened fire, 
And, and, and that wouldn't have, again, would not have been surprising, would not have been shocking. I mean, thank God um, it wasn't worse, uh, fires or trampling or shooting or bombs or whatever. And thankfully, some other type of terrorist didn't latch on to, to this opportunity. So, I mean, it, 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 uh, it's weird to say, thank, I'm thankful it, yeah. it wasn't worse, but um, I mean, man, it, 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 was, it, ha- it was on the verge of being um, s- so much worse. Mm-hmm. Well, well, Ben, I mean, you, you worked there. So how surprised are you that this crew of, you know, Duck Dynasty and the, the bar scene in Star Wars is able to overwhelm the Capitol Police, who this should not have been a surprise. I mean, anyone who had connectivity to the Internet, who looked at Twitter or was paying attention to what the president of the United States was saying, knew this was happening and they were coming. And how, how surprising is it to you that they were able to march right in and quickly overwhelm the police and be there on the Capitol? And they were looking for they were looking for Nancy Pelosi. They were looking for uh, Chuck Schumer trying to find where they were. It, it's astonishing. And and the, the only way that happens, the only way that happens is under a president like this that is encouraging and inciting his crew and pulling back or, or diminishing police or, or support at the Capitol or in D.C. or wherever it's going to take place. That's the only way this happens. The, the security is too big and too great and too um, powerful around uh, the Capitol, around D.C. On, on, that, there is no way that happens. There is no way that happens in any other uh, normal situation because security is just too too great, too strong. And, you know, there has been other attacks on, on uh, Capitol Hill and, and other places like that. And so we've improved dramatically um, in the last 20 years at those things. So it is astonishing that it was that simple or that easy or, or um, you know, that quick. It, there is no way that happens if, if a normal president, a normal leader is in charge. There's no way. Brian, I'm just going to take over the podcasting hosting here for just a minute. Ben, please. Thanks. So Ben, you know, I, I did not work. I have not worked in a federal building. I did not work in the Capitol, but I have taken several eighth grade classes through there. And I was thinking as I was watching this, that so many of the offices in the Capitol are not like right off of a main, you know, thoroughfare hallway. There's, you know, it's, there is sort of a, a maze, if you will, to go through, like a couple of what you just said about all of this, it, it appeared from the footage and everything that I've watched and I've read, like there seems to be for a lot of these folks, knowledge of how to navigate that building and where to go and where to go fairly easily. Did, is that part of what you have thought in terms of knowing that place the way that you do? It feels like a maze, you know, because there's so many hallways, there's so many right. doors, there's so many alleys, there's so many tunnels, there's so many ways in and out so yes I mean this was thought out and it was it was planned out and you know it's um it you know the symbolism of it and um the 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 scenes it's are are are, uh, you know unbelievable but what you're describing is a, a terrorist attack and you know it was um 
it had to have been planned and thought out. Um, you know that yes, sometimes um, the the matching T-shirts kind of gave I, yeah, it away. It's the, literally, the, the, what I was going to say, Brian. Yes, the the merch that was already created. Yeah. I mean, it's so. Yeah. But you're right. I mean, it, it's it's not something where it's not one door in and 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 you're in. It's it's a whole whole yeah. Man. And let's talk a little bit about the symbolism. I mean, I think, you know, for many people seeing the Confederate flag flying in the, the U.S. Capitol, seeing people wearing Camp Auschwitz uh, T-shirts, wearing, uh, you know, uh, Holocaust denying T-shirts in our nation's capital. What, what sort of symbol, what does that mean? How, how does that compare with other things we've seen in history? You know, I... I think first and foremost, it is it is difficult, if not impossible, to separate the events of Wednesday from white supremacy. Um, I, certainly, as we're looking at President Trump, whoever these you know since he announced his candidacy, you know stoked division and um, supported racist conspiracy theories and espoused racist rhetoric. Um, but if you know, as we're looking at the events and as they unfolded, it's like here Trump loses re-election, um, and of course. That is due in large part by the sweeping mobilization efforts and the concentrated work to reverse generations of black voter suppression. He refuses the results of the election, encourages his, his supporters to come to Washington, D.C. to take back their country. Um, and then to your point, Brian, we're met with these the overwhelming amount of images of Nazi flags and, and Holocaust denying shirts and, and imagery and Confederate, um, Confederate images and whatnot. Um, what does all that mean to your question? What does it mean to have the Confederate flag, you know, being proudly waved in our, our capital? Um, well, I mean, obviously the insurrection for me, no doubt about it, rooted in white terror. And to your other question, how does this relate to history? Well, um, Wilmington, Tulsa, Selma, you know, it, wherever you want to look at a white backlash to black progress. Here is yet another historical example of, you know, the first black senator from Georgia voted um, in Georgia turning blue for the first time in almost three decades. Kamala Harris um, on the precipice of being our vice president, we see white terror and backlash to black progress. And that was present in every part of what happened on Wednesday from the images and the symbols um, to the response of law enforcement or non-response to law enforcement. Um, and I just, to me, that needs, that needs to be front and center as we are looking at this terrorist attack and, and what it's rooted in and what it means. And it absolutely aligns with, you know, uh, the historical narrative for sure. And Ben, how do you start to talk about your students, your middle school students about this symbolism, this imagery? What, what are you hearing from them? How are, how are your teachers dealing with it? How, how are you approaching it? Well, and you know, Meg, Meg's husband, Kevin, and, and me and other principals had um, a very intense uh, emotional um, meeting as uh, Mount Dabble Unified leaders yesterday afternoon led by Dr. Clark, uh, where we talked about just that. You know how do we support our staff and our students um, and the feelings they have and the um, you know the reaction to this and and what is our role as educators? So we talked about um, and and you know you had people 
kind of all over the place because we were still processing. You know, you had mm -hmm. um, I had sent out an email that morning to my staff saying, "Hey, I, I know this is what you're feeling. This is what happened, and it's 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 unbelievable. It's historic in, in nature, and you know, please, uh, we need to start the discussion. But you also need to be." Um, there to support because of the emotions and the, and the trauma that, um, you know, it, it can cause. So, you know, I sent my staff uh, various resources um, about how, how to talk to adolescents about traumatic news stories. Um, you know, similar, you know, there's many, many 10 to 13 year olds that maybe weren't watching it, but that doesn't mean they didn't feel it, right? They didn't they didn't see the quick images or their parents talking about it or whatever. So it was critical that for me that our staff at least um, addressed it and talked about it in a respectful way and a mature um, um, or a safe setting in, in classrooms. Uh, we, you know, one of our, our, our great science teachers had a, a very um, emotional conversation with a student afterwards who was just, you know, couldn't stop crying um, because of her feelings and, and, um, you know, some of the other trauma that her family's been through. So, you know, now is every kid feeling that? No. Is every teacher feeling that? No, but there certainly was, um, enough, um, you know, to, to, to warrant a really, uh, hard look at this. And as a, as a, you know, I really appreciated Dr. Clark bringing us all together uh, via Zoom, obviously, but bringing us all together with a chance to talk. I mean, there was there was tears on uh, during that meeting. There was anger during that meeting, um, and and it was it was all over the place because people were just processing this. This was yesterday, the day after, and you know the but the the overarching thing is how do we support our adolescents, our kids through this? You know, what is our role? How do we help them process? How do we help educate them? How do we provide, we, this, this is a moment where, you know, you can't shy away from moments like this. And, and um, it's critical that we learn from um, moments like this and we teach and we um, process together. So, but, but that's very hard. I mean, you guys both have young kids and, you know, just that like after 9-11 or any historic a moment, you, you, you do want to talk about it but it's how, how do you do that appropriately based on the kid's age and, and maturity and, and, and education and knowledge and all those things, right? Um, yeah. It's it's a really difficult, um, you know, I, I'm curious how you guys did it. Your kids are older than mine um, and, and how you had those conversations. I think one of the real challenges is that, you know, as much as I'd love to tell you that my kids sit around reading the newspaper and we discuss it as a family or that we're all in the living room watching TV together, the the way my kids consume news is via social media. It's on Snapchat. It's, you know, text. It's um, those different mediums where they're interacting with their friends. And as a parent, you, you do your best to monitor some of that, but you, you don't really know how deeply it's hitting them. And so... Yeah. I mean, for us, it's the, you know, the Norman Rockwell, the, the one thing we've held on to during this pandemic is trying to have family dinner where everyone's there and just kind of asking about it. And, you know, my, my youngest um, is the same age as Meg's daughter. She's nine. She's in fourth grade to, you know, I've got a, a sophomore in high school who is, you know, deeply engaged and having conversations in all his classes around this. 
And so, I mean, it, it kind of leads to some fascinating discussions around the table. But one of the things I wanted to ask you, Meg, about was as an educator, how would you approach this in terms of the, you know, there are good people on both sides of it, or when you have something that is this shocking and this jarring, how do you balance that? And, and what would be the approach from, from you as an educator and, you know, w- with students, then obviously would love to hear about how you're talking with your own kids about it. Yeah, well, I think both but what you both have shared, um, you know, resonates and it, it very much aligns with um, my experience to your question, Brian, I think that um, this moment um, and the uh, argument of good people on both sides really um, let, you know, underscores or emphasizes the importance of ensuring that our young people are developing critical media literacy skills, that they're able to um, examine or analyze, whether it be news from uh, two different outlets, whether it be um, to really critically study um, photographs from an event, um, and be confident and capable to uh, understand, to discuss, to make sense of what they're seeing. Um, and then certainly as educators to provide them with the, you know, the resources and, and, this, and the tools necessary to develop those skills. So I, I think that that's the first piece of this is um, presenting an event um, from, you know, multiple sources. Um, and then I, you know, for me as a historian, I am interested in presenting information that is backed with statistics and data and research, um, helping our students, our young people question where they're finding these sources. Is is what you're seeing on Snapchat um, a reliable and valid source of information? If not, why? How do we know that? Um, I think it's these moments that that, that type of questioning and process is so critical. Um, and I, I have to say that, you know, working with, with young people for all of these years and, and working with teachers who are in classrooms doing this, this work with students, um, you know, our, our, our young people are fully capable of doing this heavy lifting and, and critical media analysis and looking at um, different sources to really understand how events, you know, unfold. Um, to your other point, I think you both said about your, your own children and, and going through this, as a parent um, who has a, a nine-year-old and also a seven-year-old, um, it's hard for me not to feel overwhelmed with sadness that my children have come of age and awareness with, with Donald Trump as our president, um, that they have no remembrance of a time where people engaged in civic discourse, where um, there was was work to build you know, consensus and, and agreement across different political parties um, and then how Wednesday, you know, I think something that we've all always had such deep levels of pride is, you know, a peaceful transfer of power, transfer of power with no bloodshed. And then we're watching this happen on Wednesday. And so I'm, I'm trying to do two things with my own children. One, remind them that this is not, this is not how this, you know, is intended to happen. We certainly can make the argument that everything that has set up in our country has allowed this to, to unfold the way that it is. But the other thing too, that I think is just so important with our own children or with students is to give space and time for them to talk, for them to reflect, for them to ask questions. And I know for me as a teacher, especially when I was uneasy, I felt like I had to be the keeper of all knowledge and run things and be in charge and do this. But there's also great power and there's you know 
there's profound things that can happen in a space where students are allowed to really question and and grieve or um, be vulnerable in terms of, of how they're processing through what they've seen. And I think there's a lot of learning that can happen there too. Yeah. On the upside, you're probably, your kids probably don't even remember the horror that was Obama when he wore that tan suit. Right. That Thank was, God. That was pretty, I mean, pretty controversial. Pretty controversial. I didn't know how we were going to recover from that I, moment. Right. The, right. The dumb, the democracy held, uh, hung in the balance at that absolutely, moment. Absolutely. Absolutely. So, <laughs> as you both know, most of my news is garnered from Parler. And what, what the folks on Parler are saying is that, hey, there's a massive double standard here that um, over the summer, Black Lives Matter and the, the anti-fascists, as opposed to the, the pro-fascists, the Antifa, um, that there were incursions on federal properties and this is just the same thing. And so that it, it's fake outrage. How, how do you think it differs that what we saw this week compared to the, the summer protests um, around the, the shootings of Breonna Taylor, George Floyd? How, how do these protests differ and, and why, or, or do they? Meg, I'll let you start, but, uh, well, Meg, you start. It's <laughs> <laughs> probably no. a good idea, Ben. Probably a good idea. <laughs> Oh, poor Ben has had to, yes, Ben and I work together. We've been friends for so long. Yeah, he, he just, yeah, he knows. Um, no, I, um, you know, I, I am, I am still journeying through this. Um, I think we need to be very intentional and very careful about making the comparisons between the protests that took place as a result of um, the the horrifying killings um, of, of Black people at the hands of law enforcement versus what this is. Um, certainly we can, make, we can make comparisons to the response of law enforcement in both of, of these situations, the terrorist attack at the Capitol and the peaceful protests that took place you know, throughout the country. Um, I'm just, I'm trying to be very, um, just very careful though in making sure that we are not engaging in a comparative analysis of, of, of a movement that's rooted in um, uh, bringing awareness to um, the horrifying acts of violence and oppression um, and, and killing that happens to black people um, every day versus what this is. Um, I would also say that yes, as peaceful protesters were marching in proximity or on federal property, um, in Washington, D.C. this summer, they were tear gassed, rubber bulleted, so that President Trump could go hold a Bible upside down in front of a church, too. So, you know, I, I'm not quite, I don't know where, I, a double yeah. standard. I think the double standard exists in how, th how these folks were received and, and, and what happened to them as a result of, of their actions. Yeah, I mean, I, I think even, Ben, I'll ask you a question on this, but, you know, even this summer here in Walnut Creek, when we had protests, we had armored vehicles at the disposal of the Walnut Creek Police Department. And I think, you know, one of the, the scariest um, and saddest images that I saw was of a lone black police officer trying to hold back this I mob saw that of too, people Brian. where he grabbed like I, I think he grabbed like a stick, a stick from the ground right, it was like right and 
they were chasing after him. And, yeah. you know, you, you had to, as you're watching it, fear for this man's safety. If he gets uh. cornered, what might possibly happen to him um, and where it goes. And I think Ben, you know, to me, that's one of the things that goes back to just the, the shocking lack of security as compared to what you saw when you were there. So, you know, well, how do you think about that? And how do you think about what Meg said? I, I think there's two, com- there's the, the race and, and the racist component around this, but then there's the political component too, right? This was, it, so if we walk it back two months and a, a normal president says, I lost, you know, yeah. congratulations, president-elect Biden, I lost. Good, good fight, good game, shake hands and move on. Does this happen? I, I doubt it, right? So, so you have this political, the, 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 the arguments I'm hearing, you know, I flipped on Hannity for a few minutes yesterday and, and they had the same discussion. So did you burst into flames? Oh, no, you're still here. I'm glad that that's still happened. here. But, 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 and, and so the political um, the component of this is unbelievable. I mean, you have a president who's stoking and inciting this behavior and, you know, he's, he's, he even said it uh, yesterday or whenever he made that first video that the election was stolen. He's, he's said that so many times and, and, you know, there's going to be a a faction of supporters that believe their leader, no matter what is said. So, you know, continuing to incite, um, uh, you know, this, this movement is, makes it unique and uncomparable, right? Incomparable. Because it's just, this was driven by our elected leaders. If, think about if, if our, if those House and, and, and Senate leaders and, and our president did not push this fraudulent, stolen, rigged election nonsense for the last two months, this doesn't happen, you know, and, and, and that's just crazy to think about politically, but it's also extremely sad. Um, people, um, the way, the way it all went down. Yeah. And I I mean, up until the very day, up until Wednesday, the fact that Donald Trump has stuck to this narrative and was calling out Mike Pence, who Mike Pence has been more loyal to Donald Trump than that fly was to Mike Pence's head. And, you know, suddenly he's calling out Pence saying, you have the ability to unilaterally just discard the Electoral College, uh, which would have been, I'm sure, really interesting news to both uh, Al Gore in 2000 and uh, Richard, Richard Nixon in 1960, both of whom were sitting vice presidents who presided over the uh, the Senate confirmation of uh, their opponent, the person they their opponent, yeah. um, in what what were much closer elections. I mean, two thousand, mm-hmm. uh, the five hundred and thirty seven votes that determined Florida, and uh, the the nineteen sixty election between uh, Kennedy and Nixon, much much closer than the seven million votes that uh, Donald Trump. Mm-hmm lost by and nobody has had more opportunities to litigate something uh, than Donald Trump has with resounding defeat after defeat after defeat. And the fact that he has managed to drag 
a huge segment of the Republican Party over the cliff with him. Um, how, how does that happen and how do we it, go from here? It's shocking. And, and you know, I think about it, if, if Kyle Shanahan and the Niners had lost the Super Bowl last year and this was how we played it out, right? The refs rigged it, the other team rigged it, we're going to sue the NFL, we're going to sue the refs, we're going to sue the other players. There would have been groups of fans and people yeah. that said, I, I trust that leader and I'm going to do, <laughs> I'm going to believe what he's saying. So there, that's just the reality, right? When people are in a leadership position, when people are in a position of power, there's going to be a faction of people that follow, unfortunately. But where we go from here is, you know, thankfully this ending, I think solidifies what we all knew for so long, but it really solidifies, right? Um, just how terrible it's been. And, and so I think where we go from here is, you know, there's the logistical cleanup of election stuff and, and Twitter stuff and, and, and sort of the, the processes and systems of cleaning up Congress um, system, system wise, but, but philosophically and sort of uh, emotionally, it's so clear, it's so clear that we need to get back to, um, you know, a sense of goodness and, and um, decency because this was so bad. And, and if there's any, you know, sort of saving grace to this, this ending is that, is that, is that it made it so clear to even people who were borderline, right? You know, uh, borderline upon Trump it made it so clear. So I, I think there is way to move forward, but going to your question of 10 minutes ago, Brian, as a good people on both sides, listening to, you know, Don Lemon, Cuomo, all those guys uh, last night, the, the question became, can we find common ground? Should we try to find common ground? Uh, can, can there be working together, right? Should there be working together? because of how rough the last four years has been, right? So do yep. you all sit down with Lindsey Graham now and, and these guys, or do you, do you, just, do you just say, no, you, you, we got to push on and, and move on? I, you know, it's, and, it's a good debate. Well, and Ben, I agree wholeheartedly with everything you just said, and, and I, I um, am holding tight to idealism, you know, that the ship is going to be righted, that we are going to come back to an era um, where there still might be fierce disagreements, but we are going to do that in a way that speaks to the best of our ideals and, and our values. And that's coupled with, you know, just very deep concern and worry about folks that I, I don't necessarily think are at all engaging in, you know, um, leaders of, of the Republican Party who have now finally renounced Trump or who have resigned or, or whatever but are instead either have at now at, at best Fox News on all day or at worst, what is it, OAN? Is that what it's called? You know, OAN all day and are, are continually being fed a completely different story. And, you know, I, I think, you know, as we look at the, the people who, who committed, you know, this, this horrifying um, set of acts on Wednesday, it's like, it is that it's that James Baldwin quote like ignorance ignorance armed with anger is so dangerous and I um I share your optimism and great hope for the the Biden Harris 
um, presidency and, and hope that we are able to come back. And I think we also just need to be very vigilant to what happens when people are engaging in narratives and information that is not rooted in truth and does nothing but stir up these, um, you know, yeah. these, these deep divisions and, and, and racism and, and, um, you know, xenophobia and all of it. So I, yeah, I, if you were, if you were, if you were advising the president tonight or in a, in a month or in three months, what would you be encouraging him, um, his cabinet, his, his supporters, his, you know, Democrats in Congress to try to bridge those divide? Or would you guys be saying, you know what, for the next two years, we got to just get stuff done. We got to, we got to move forward with, you know, our agenda um, and be damned with, with that part of the process. And, you know, it's, it's, it's an interest. I, I, I mean, I'm curious what you guys would say, because it's hard, it's hard to, to know. And we've been through such a rough, you know, few years that it, it, it makes that question um, very real. Uh, you know, there are people uh, all over, the, all over the map on this on, you know, how, how, how much do we placate and how much does the Democratic Party uh, try to try to move to the center here? Because Joe Biden's been talking about uniting, uniting, mm -hmm. uniting, coming together. Uh, but you also have the White House, the, the Senate and the House, and you have an opportunity for a couple of years to, 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 make, to make some change. Well, well, since you and I have taken over this podcast, I'll have Brian answer your <laughs> question. So go ahead, Brian. <laughs> Why, thank you, Meg. You know, I, I think that one of the things that Democrats don't do a great job of is recognizing that Democratic policies, the Democratic agenda is incredibly popular with the American people. And what we mm. don't do a great job of is actually selling that agenda and talking about that thing, yeah. talking about Obamacare and the expansion of medical coverage or um, you know, having a stimulus that is not $600, but is $2,000. And, and that is as a start, that these are incredibly popular policies that we get sidetracked and lost in all the noise. And that Donald Trump, and, and it's not just him, I mean, it goes back, it's what Fox News has done, has you know, helped create these cultural wars and these distractions. And whether it's you know, the invading hordes from Mexico or the caravan that's coming marching toward the border or the China flu or Antifa, that they find the boogeyman and make you scared of it. And what you'll notice is, Donald Trump is masterful at stirring people up and sending them on their way. But you knew that Donald Trump, you knew that Don Jr., you knew Kimberly Guilfoyle, you knew Rudy Giuliani were not going to be at the front of that march. Instead, they're riling people up, sending them on their way, and then they sit back and they profit yeah. from what happens from there. And so I think that you know what Joe Biden has an opportunity to come forward with is showing things like simple competence in delivery of the vaccine, that the more quickly we get people vaccinated, that is how we end this pandemic. And that's how we get kids back in school. That's how we get people back in their jobs. That's how we reopen businesses. And this administration, it, it, what's kind of gotten lost here is that yesterday was the deadliest day of the pandemic, yeah. that Fourth, more than 4,000 people died, that this thing did not magically no. go away 
at Easter. We, it, it, everything that Donald Trump, who, you know, when you listen to the Bob Woodward tapes, he knew, he knew all along that this was deadlier than the flu. Mm -hmm. And his, his response then was, I don't want to scare people. Well, what, what, that certainly hasn't been uh, his modus operandi uh, this week or any other time of his presidency uh, was what I, what I don't want to do is stoke fear. I mean, that is what the Trump, Trump uh, brand has been built on politically. And so I think that Joe Biden, you know, one of the biggest things that the Democratic Party has to do is figure out how to tell that story, how to tell yeah. that narrative. Um, and, you know, what I think one of the, the challenges is what we see it locally, too, with the disappearance of uh, newspapers and that we have the rise of local blogs where when you read through the comments, it can be sickening and you look around and say, are these actually my neighbors? And the, the misinformation that is spread and the hatred and vitriol that are building. And I think that you know, for the Democrats, it's how do we counter that narrative and how do we start to tell, here are the good things that government can actually do uh, versus government is the enemy and that's why we're going to storm the Capitol. Well, and, and Brian, I have to tell you, you know, in the midst of everything that was happening and, and what I was consuming, the tweet that you posted about the day being the deadliest that we have seen, I mean, like that, that took my breath away and was just, I mean, as you process all of that and what that means and how every single person has been affected, um, you know, just so profoundly by this virus and, and how it's played out, I mean, really reflecting on that is just that is um it's just that's a that is a lot and that is horrible and and really gives us you know a lot of of space to to think um and and to imagine what a future would look like with a with competent leadership and a, and a vaccine rollout that is wildly different than what we've seen and you know i know this sounds maybe minor or or whatnot but ben to your point about you know, these followers of Trump, no matter what happens, you know, continues to do it. It's like, at this, at this moment, I am looking forward. And it's almost hard to even imagine our president addressing the country and not insulting somebody or calling them a horrible racist nickname or going off script and making all of these inappropriate and offensive remarks. Like, even even just that part of what this new administration means, I have to believe that that is going to bring, hopefully, some sense of, of what you know decorum looks like and what leadership looks like and how we engage with each other and how we address incredibly difficult problems. Um, it, it's almost like I don't even remember what that's like. I, it's, yeah. It is, it's going to be, that's, that's the sea change I'm very much looking yeah, forward and, to. Yeah, you know, I, I said this to someone yesterday, you, you could have disagreed with President Obama's policies, but you could really? never, never reasonably argue that he didn't have the smartest people in the room. He didn't have the most competent, um, you know, people around him, systems in place. You know, he got a, he took a lot of heat for he, he made decisions slowly. He took a lot of heat for that. And, you know, hearing him recently talk about his process for um, dealing with tough decisions and how he dealt with that and how he would um, do what Brian's doing. And he had a family dinner every night and he would, he would always try to process decisions, have his dinner, try to let it go, then come back to it. Um, you know, 
and and my point is this this competency word you guys used and and this decency but it's it's also getting the smartest people around you totally it, it, it's getting these systems in place so that there's not group think, so there's not, um, you know, misinformation um, put out or whatever. And, you know, that's it. That's it. it it's kind of sounds obvious as we're talking yep. about now. But, you know, and then you forgot like the, one of the most vital elements of this a first lady who is an educator with a doctorate in the White House, too. Yeah. Like, I can't wait yeah. to see. With you know, with Betsy DeVos resigning and and really thinking and imagining <laughs> what what our future of education is going to look like with leadership um, and 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 leaders who who truly understand the the challenges of public education and value what right. this means for students. I can't wait for for that piece to mm -hmm. be revealed and and um, presented. It's going to be an incredibly new era for us. And that's like, like I said at the beginning, I think all of us are pretty fired up about Marty Walsh stepping in as labor secretary. Game changer, game changer. Really, the, the most. The, the, the week of Marty is how I, I think of this week. Absolutely. Um, so, as a final note, let, let's go to a prediction. Uh, so, you know, I, I will say one of the things that I knew even Wednesday mid afternoon that was not going to happen was that the 25th Amendment was not going to be invoked. Um, you know, counting on. Um, the, the cabinet, uh, Betsy DeVos and, and uh, the rest of them to uh, invoke the 25th Amendment and for Mike Pence to, you know, own the last week of this uh, shit show of a, a presidency yeah. was, a, a, you know, a bridge too far. So you knew that wasn't going to happen. But now more and more, there are calls uh, for impeachment, which I think that nobody has ever deserved being impeached twice and convicted of it and removed from office um, more than Donald Trump. What do you think the chances are? And, you know, we certainly saw that Mitch McConnell, when, when motivated, was able to uh, slam through the, the appointment of a Supreme Court justice in record time. So are we going to be able to, are we going to see the impeachment and conviction of Donald Trump as a, a final act for the Trump presidency, which would also mean He's ineligible to run in 2024. He loses his pension. He loses his uh, presidential, post-presidential uh, security and office and you know, the things that he would be entitled to. Uh, a lot of that would disappear. So what, what do you think? Is it going to happen? Well, my, well, my prediction is it, it, yep. the house is going to move forward. So the, the, then the question becomes is the time. So I, I think it will move forward. And then the debate, and I was reading about this today, is what can the Senate do after January 20th? And to what Brian just said, there are these, uh, you know, reasons why he would still, uh, it would still be important to impeach him, um, you know, even after he's left for those future iterations. But I, I do believe the House is going to move forward. Um, I'm sure of it that there'll be a vote. I'm sure it'll move forward. And then it, my, I, I don't think it will end uh, that way in the Senate, but um, I, I, I don't know. I, I'm, I, I think we'll get halfway there again. Um, and that's kind of my prediction. 
I think Joe Biden has said over and over he wants to move forward. He wants yep. he does not want the albatross of, of Trump lingering. Um, and so I think he's going to push to get that over with. Um, I don't know. I, I just I don't have a feeling that it's going to end that way after January 20th. I, I, I do know that there's a huge, huge, um, you know, uh, desire in the House to, to move forward with it, though. And, yep. and we're going to see that Monday or, or Tuesday. And the fact that Chuck Schumer is now the majority leader of the Senate seems like it matters a whole lot more than if Mitch McConnell were the one dictating yeah. this. Well, and, and we didn't even talk about Georgia, guys. I mean, and, and Stacey Abrams. Well, that, 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 that was like two and a half months ago, wasn't it? Wait, I know. I mean, the fact that Chuck Schumer is the majority leader, the fact that that yeah. that Georgia, you know, went went blue and and and. Uh, these 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 senators i mean that it was it was amazing and and what that means for uh every little piece of legislation that gets brought forward every debate every judge every cabinet position it it, it is huge for so many political reasons but also for the legislation that we're talking about you yeah. know yeah. whether it's education climate whether that's social justice whether that's the stimulus, whatever it may be, Supreme Court nominees, it, it got that much easier. Yeah, and, yeah. you know, we, it, it, we would have been naive to think that Mitch McConnell, even if this had occurred, mm -hmm. that Mitch McConnell would have made things smooth mm -hmm. uh, over the next couple of years. It, that, that, was, that would be totally naive to think that would be the case. Yes. As he says multiple times, elections have uh, consequences. Consequences. And, and <laughs> You know, the fact that Stacey Abrams and Georgia and, and every, you know, Warnock and Ossoff, what they did there, unbelievable. And yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm even more grateful now after the last couple of days that we have control there. Me too. Yeah. And I agree with all that. Um, and, and I will just say, I'm actually more interested and want to do some more learning and um, understanding of what potentially happens to Donald Trump post-presidency? What does that look like, you know, in terms of charges being brought, his family? I, I am, I'm interested. And yet at the same time, I feel like in this age that we live in, history will remember, you know, the, the, the images, the, the news, the, 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 the footage of what has happened, not just on Wednesday, but over four years. It's, there's just going to be so much for us collectively to process through and um, think about. Um, and I, you know, I also appreciate one of your other tweets, Brian, that was sent um, in terms of your overall assessment of Donald Trump in the last few days. Do you know which one I'm talking about? I think I have an idea, Meg. Yeah. Yep. And I appreciated that too. So yep. yes, all of it. But don't you think, don't you think that the, what happened on Wednesday was an, an impeachment of itself in a way that yeah. what it did was it, it, it solidified who this, I mean, look, is there any chance, even if he ran again now that he, he could win? Is there any chance? Yes, yes there is. I, I will say, no, I, no, I, Brian, I, no. I, I, I'm, I, I'm going to tell you, I mean, and, and I will say that, you know, in 2015, I was out there saying the facts that, um, you know, not too long ago, Arnold Schwarzenegger had been our governor and George W. Bush were our president. I was not discounting the fact that Donald Trump might very well end up as our president. And, you know, even though we talk about the, the massive win in the popular vote, if you look at 
the narrow, narrow victory in Pennsylvania, in um, Michigan, in Georgia, in Arizona, in Nevada, that it, it, it was, you know, the popular vote was huge, but because of the electoral college, even though democratic policies or, you know, the Democrats have won uh, every popular vote, but one since the year 2000, or uh, sorry, since 1990 or since 1988, that we've won everyone except one. But the fact that uh, the Republicans have this inherent advantage in the setup of the electoral college, as well as the Senate. So no, I'm not discounting it, Ben. <laughs> well, you know, I, you're, you're right. And the electoral college has to go. And it's, it is the worst. But I, I just think that what happened on Wednesday was solidified to me how he goes down in history. Um, I, I do think, you know, he deserves impeachment. But to Meg's point, I don't know enough about what that would mean after January 20th, what that would look like. Um, but, you know, I was reading about it today. I mean, the, the, there is a desire in Congress to uh, do more than just let this one slide. Yeah. Yep. Well, I think, um, you know, Wednesday definitely brought me off the fence. I'm no longer undecided on the Trump presidency. Um, so I, I've landed squarely. But I, I think it, it's a reminder for, for all of us that, you know, things like it, you, you can't go in. I mean, look at the money we threw into, and we've talked about this before. Look at the money we threw in in South Carolina against Lindsey Graham. Look at the money we threw into Kentucky against Mitch McConnell. And they actually both won re-election. I mean, the, the Democratic candidates for Senate were incredibly well-funded, but so yeah. much of that came in the last few months of the campaign, and they literally couldn't, didn't know what to do with all the money. Um, and instead, if you look at what happened in Georgia, it was a consistent effort to build a grassroots organization. And we're gonna have opportunities to do that in Wisconsin, to go after Ron Johnson, in Pennsylvania to, to pick up a Senate seat. But that's the sort of work that I think, and you know, the, one of the biggest things is that if you look at this, the lesson that the Republican party has taken from this election is we need to work a lot harder as a party at disenfranchising voters. It is not, hey, we need to figure out how to win over these voters. It is not, you know, how do we do better with black voters? It is, how do we do a better job of disenfranchising them? What other polling stations can we close? What new requirements can we put in that will make it that much more difficult? That's the big failing for the Republican Party is they didn't make it hard enough to vote in a couple key states. No, but their only tactic, yeah. yeah. And, and that's, that's not hyperbole either. No. And, and what else, and, and what I think the Democrats learned from Georgia is every zip code, every state, yep. it, it takes time and it yep. takes it takes resources and people on the ground. And we may not win Texas, we may not turn Texas or Iowa or Ohio or, or, or wherever certain counties blue next election or the next election. Yep. That doesn't mean you don't invest there, you know, time, money, resources, that's critical. Um, you know, we saw it in Georgia, there was red, 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 red counties yep. that more just Democrat yep. tweaked a little bit. So. Yep. You know, you cannot, um, you, you cannot avoid counties, you cannot avoid states because, you know, that, that for whatever reason, you have to get in everywhere. And, you know, frankly, 
that the lesson um, Stacy Abrams set for us is, or the blueprint is one that we need to take everywhere, everywhere. We yep, have yeah. to be on the ground. We cannot wait till the end. We've got to get people on the ground. Um, you've seen what Beto O'Rourke has done in Texas the last couple yep. of years. Did yeah. it pay, you know, people say, well, did it pay off this turn, this cycle? Well, a little bit, but yep. not as much as, as it will in two, four, six, eight, ten 10 years in Texas, right? Yep. That, that is just a, a critical, critical component of, of you know, the, the DNC moving forward yep. and the democratic policies moving forward. Well, and, I, and I know that we talked a lot about this the last time that we were together, uh, you know, on, on the podcast about, you know, how this has all changed and particularly in the pandemic. And I, I would always just say, too, that in addition to the, the canvassing efforts and, the, and getting out and, and, and being present to the communities there, you know, especially in the case of Stacey Abrams, I, I feel like a, a renewed investment in education. And I don't just mean in classrooms with students. I I don't think, you know, I, well, I think Stacey Abrams needs to give, you know, classes and seminars and be sharing exactly what, how this all worked with, with people far and wide. That's one, obviously one vital part of the learning process, but like, you know, so much of, of, of what has happened, the good and the terrible on Wednesday, it's like, I really believe that if folks had a better sense of what voter disenfranchisement looked like between what, you know, poll taxes and literacy tests and, and violent mobs and intimidation, you know, I think they would be much more acutely aware of what, what is, what is currently happening and the efforts that are happening to close down polling spaces or require IDs or what all the other ridiculous elements that are here. I think that we need to keep ensuring that people have an understanding of what used to be and in a lot of ways, how, how not different it is. And, um, you know, I guess I, I will just say one other piece to that end, and I don't want to deviate from, from what you both are talking about, but my God, watching what happened in Washington, DC, and, and obviously Ben and I, who, who, you know, taught for so many years and taught us history and government, like, I was so reminded of the Ku Klux Klan rally that took place in the 1920s. It was like 30,000 people just came to Washington, D.C., no masks, proudly marching on the streets. They were welcomed. The Washington Post wrote about it. And it's like, you know, that that was like abhorrent. And I would we would I would talk about that with students and we would dive into what that all meant. And it's like, here it is again. We have terrorists that are taking selfies and are not at all afraid to be recognized. I just so I just. There are just so many historical connections here that I think are really vital for us to consider, whether that be in what's going to happen with with voting and engaging people and and uh, ensuring that that folks have access to to the you know to polling places and, and to the ballot, but also to be just very aware of how delicate yes. our democracy is and yeah. and what that really means. And that was like you know you know kind of rhetoric or whatever, you know, a cheesy thing that you'd hear in a government class. And now we can use Wednesday to really speak to <laughs> what that, what, how that yeah. plays out. No, that, when, go ahead, Ben. That, that democracy is fragile and that we have yeah. to, we have to get involved. And, you know, one thing that I always, and Meg was the best in the world at this is getting kids involved, getting students involved, getting people involved. You know, we cannot, sit by we to brian's point in four years it's going to be just as tough to win um you, you know people have to get involved and that starts with education you know it truly starts in 
you know, elementary school when they're learning the presidents all the way up. It starts with education. Um, it starts with those dinner time conversations. It is critical that kids understand the importance that they play, the voice they have, uh, the role they play, um, and citizens understand the, the value they have, the, the impact they can have. Um, it, it is so critical. It is so critical. We need, you know, I, I was texting Meg about this a month ago. We need more social, in our high schools, we need more classes covering these social events, covering these situations, covering what, how people are feeling, how, how these situations are being dealt with, how political parties are handling them. We need more of it because those kids are going to be uh, voting in just a couple of years. And we need yeah. to support to support them so they are ready and prepared and excited to, to, to do those things. Yeah. Yeah. So we got lots of work to do. And, you know, I, I think, Ben, one of the things that stood out as you were talking, it reminded me, you know, I don't think uh, we've heard his name much this election cycle, but you go back to Howard Dean with his 50 straight state strategy when he was chair of the DNC. And that's what this all comes back to. So we've got a lot of work to do. I appreciate both of you so much. I know you both had big plans here on a Friday night, but instead you chose <laughs> to spend it with me. So thank you both so much and have a great evening. Thank you, Brian. Thanks, Thanks Mac. Thank you.